0: The story of coming out, say, like for a queer person is often told in this heroic way and then you come out and all is fine and the queer person kind of has to be morally untouchable and perfect or else people are frustrated and like, oh, this is a bad representation. But I really wanted in this book to have the transitional moment be there, but be messy and have people and have nuance and have people be doing it wrong and acting in disorganized ways and acting in regrettable ways. It's not realistic to me that there's this heroic, linear path of either transition or coming out, or that those are even the moments that are the only things that define a life.
1: I'm Jordan Kissner, author of the essay collection Thin Places. And this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new, and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. Lydia Conklin is a graphic artist and fiction writer, and they're the author of Rainbow, Rainbow, a collection of short stories that was just published by Catapult at the end of May. All of the protagonists in Rainbow Rainbow are queer and trans people in states of flux and change, entering and exiting partnerships, undergoing wild self-realizations, negotiating sobriety, trying to find community. I got to talk to Lydia about writing transitions, bucking the conventions of queer storytelling, and about my particular favorite story of their collection, which is called Pioneer, which it turns out is based on an experience that they really had. Here's Lydia Conklin.
0: The story is about a a child who is having to do this reenactment of the Oregon Trail in school and kind of realizes because of the pageantry of gender having been so much more like prescribed or binary in the time of the Oregon Trail, where everyone, every girl suddenly has to wear like dresses and skirts to school that day, and this character has never had to. Do that necessarily because they could get away with, you know, dressing like a boy in their normal life. Is kind of faced with having to sort of realize the pageantry of gender in in their own life, and so decides to dress as an ox instead to kind of get in between and sort of skirt the kind of snake pit of gender in that moment. Um, and so that's something that actually happened in my life. Um, and when I was in fifth grade was that I, I had to do this Oregon Trail and I decided to dress as an ox because I was so afraid of the idea of dressing as a girl. And I think also in that story, I'm trying to write about this moment, which I think happens in a lot of queer people's lives and probably the lives of other people too, surrounding other issues, when you've realized that you have been you have been sort of ignoring something or half knowing something and forcing it into your subconscious. And then there comes a moment when you realize you can't ignore it anymore and you have to face it, whatever that means. And you're kind of standing at the edge of a long, hard journey, which is where Coco ends up at the end of that story.
1: Yeah, that was I think I, I loved that story. I don't know if it, I don't want to choose a favorite of the collection, but that one I have read now, I don't know, several times because I just think it's so, um, beautiful and so moving, just the experience that Coco is having and the way that it's (laughs) written about. Um, and one thing that I, like, you definitely do get the sense of this carry, this like small person, this character, um, Having a realization. And and part of it that felt that stuck out to me was that there's this moment where Coco was sort of saying, like, other people can see something like there's something about me that other people can see and I can't see yeah. it yet.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I think that's like a really stressful moment in like the lives of queer people is, yeah, real. I, I mean, some people can pass for longer or forever, but if you can't, it's like there there is going to be this period of time where other people are picking up on something about you that you may know but haven't owned about yourself. And I find it to be like a really stressful time um, identity-wise because it's just like this bad feeling of other people understanding. And of course, in childhood and and teen years, people are not afraid to tell you what they think about you, even if it's horrible and hurtful. It's easier kind of when you get to be an adult and there are more social sort of boundaries around saying certain things.
1: Yeah. But, but also at that age, I don't think that the kids that Coco goes to school with would necessarily like, they don't even have the language to describe what's different about Coco precisely, and like lang- and like Coco doesn't have that language either. So there's something where they're they're like they're more willing to be sort of cruel and direct about po- pointing out that something's something's different about Coco. But it's not that they, but they don't have any clear way of articulating what that is. Everybody's kind of pre language in the experience,
0: right? Totally, yeah. Because it's it's just like a time in the '90s when. Nobody knew what trans was, or it wasn't really like an option out there. like I think it was like the only thing would be like Mrs. Doubtfire or something where it's like a horrible cartoonish like parody or it's some kind of like conniving plan to be trans not not like an actual identity. so yeah, I think even the adults in Coco's life at that time probably did not have the vocabulary to help at all.
1: When you were sitting down to write the story, well, actually let me back up. When did you decide to write a story based on that experience? How did you come to that?
0: I think I just so I this is one of the older stories that that I started longest ago, of course I worked on them all like throughout the 12 years of the process of this book. But, but that was one of the ones I started early on. And I think it was just realizing that that moment had been like, sort of a revelatory moment for me, in my childhood of realizing like, oh, now that in this moment where I'm forced to choose, like, I don't want to choose the girl's way. And it, it also just seemed funny to me, like, (laughs) Then I dressed as an ox and like everybody's (laughs) staring at me and stuff like that. So I think I just thought if I want to write about sort of the beginning of realizations around gender dysphoria, um, that would be the moment to start with.
1: And what what felt important to you to capture about that, that scene and that experience that that kind of first transition? I think. Like, I think like one thing
0: was what I was talking about with that moment of like, realizing you've known something, but now you have to actually face it um, was was a big thing for me. Um, I'm trying to think. What else I think also like, I liked the idea of the pageantry about how the story sort of works on multiple levels with pageantry, because there's like the pageantry of the actual simulation and there's the pageantry of gender that's being revealed and there's Coco's pageantry and how she's had to sort of act this role in normal life and now everyone else in the class is having to enact a role when they're probably used to just for the most part being themselves or at least in a gender way more being able to be themselves than Coco has been able to be and then how inside of the pageant, like the kids are able to sort of release their cruelty or act more cruelly than they would normally because they're in a a play or like a fake world where they have this certain freedom to be even more honest than they normally would be. Right, there's something about
1: Oregon Trail in particular that kind of like (laughs) reveals and reenacts like the social drama of of school and of growing up in that there's you know it is like this battle for or at least the way it's sort of enacted in this story it's this like battle for survival and for resources and to like figure out where you fit into the system and and it's and like the the relationships between the you know, the kids as they're acting out the Oregon trail, like, you know, they have to, they have to work together and yet they are also jockeying for power constantly. Mm -hmm. Like there was, I had not thought, uh, that hard about Oregon Trail in a really long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I know. Yeah, it does definitely have all of those things, and like, yeah, the fact that disease can strike randomly, and and tragedy can sort of strike randomly. But yeah, then like the hierarchies within the family groups that are that are often gender based, and like the, the boys getting to kind of lead the way and and be the pillars of the community and whatnot it It sort of reflects and amplifies the way what's going on in normal school,
1: yeah. and i I don't know. I was just so moved by by Coco's decision to become an ox. <laughs> yeah. um, I think because it just like, I don't know. to to me, it felt both like really funny, as you were saying, and also like really brilliant, like, oh. Just choose the, choose the third. It's so creative to be, to find that kind of out. Um, And also there was something that I thought was like sad about it, a feeling like, well, I can't, there actually is no space for me in the options that I'm being given. And so I have to invent like a non-human form for myself here because I can't figure out how to, how to be a human in this game, or I don't want to be one of the humans in this game.
0: Yeah, totally. Or like the human she would want to be is like a, bo- like a colonial boy, but that's not an option to her. Like it would be, it would be too sort of renegade or everyone would freak out about it. So yeah, it's ironically like less strange to be an ox, even though nobody else is an animal, but then also how the, you know, being the ox forces Coco into this role of having to Bear the weight of the wagon and and have to pull the other kids along and whatnot, and it's physically demanding, and it's sort of like this role of subservience.
1: Yeah, but it feels like at the end, by the end of the story, um, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but it feels like at the end of the by the end of the story, there's this like movement. Like the ox period is over in one way or another. Like Coco's not gonna be an ox anymore. Um, there's like a different a different kind of creativity that's gonna be required is, is yeah. sort of how I read it, which is interesting because that's that also does feel like the big the the transition. It's like yeah. Coco had to move move through being an ox <laughs> in order to be to figure out Something else to be.
0: Yeah, definitely, totally. Yeah, like I, I get the sense at the end of the story that that she, Coco's not an ox anymore. I was consciously, obviously, writing about queerness and transness, and so those sort of moments are naturally embedded in those journeys, but I hadn't even realized about all of the other kind of transitional moments that take place until I was putting it together and realizing, like, oh, yeah, people are at the verge of having a baby or uh, on the verge of getting out of a relationship or, you know on the verge of ruining their sobriety or all these other moments that are also transitional, which I wonder if part of that is kind of the short story form being traditionally like a time where you can explore like this sort of pivotal moment in someone's life. But I think it also just flowed naturally from sort of the gender and sexuality transitions that occur through the book. But yeah, it, it wasn't, obvious until I sort of narrowed it down because I had so many stories that got cut or that I'd worked on in the last 12 years that never made never made the cut so I wasn't looking at at it, at all these stories as like the body of work it became until toward the end when I really winnowed it down
1: mm. how did you go about choosing which stories were were for rainbow rainbow
0: It was really hard. Like I, the first sort of filter was like, I wanted it to be all queer stories with queer protagonists. And so I had some stories where there is a queer character who wasn't the protagonist or like the protagonist could be argued to be queer in some form, but wasn't as solidly like under the umbrella or, or sort of, it was more, a little more like unsure about that identity of the character. So that was kind of the first filter. And then I realized that over the course of the 12 years, I had some like story clusters where I would be writing about sort of a similar issue or a similar time of life. And only one of the stories could survive to be in a book together, like they could exist in the world, but not in the book together. So, for example, the Black Winter of New England and Ooh the Suburbs are two store are the only two stories from one cluster that both could be in the collection together. Just because they're about similar times of life, they're both set in the Clinton administration, but they have very different plots and very different things happen to the characters. So, those were okay to be in there together, but some of them couldn't sit together. And then my editor had said like at the beginning, like there's a couple of stories that she was like, I'm not sure if they'll make it. They need a lot of work, but we'll see like if you can get them to where they need to be, they can be in here. And so those stories, we all, we managed to get them all to the point that they could be in there. But there was one story that just wasn't, I would have liked to have it be in the collection, but it was too new at the time and there wasn't time to get it to where it needed to be because it often takes me like years to get a story to where it
1: needs to be. Yeah. Will you tell me more about that? Like what the what the life cycle of a story looks like on your desk? Oh, sure. Yeah. I
0: normally write a story, write the first draft. It can be sometimes really fast, like even a week or something before I have the first draft. But then the way the process works for me is just so many rounds of revision over the course of years. So it's like, I'll work on a story until I kind of hit a wall with it. And then I either will give it to a trusted reader. And that helps me go to the next level with it, or leave it alone for a, a time which can be even Years, um, and then once the story feels like it's finished enough, I'll start submitting it around, and I'll submit it to a few magazines, and then if I don't get an acceptance, you know, sometimes I'll get some feedback that that helps me move on. But it's like that's that's kind of part of the editing process for me is the submission process because. I really don't know how to let go of a story by my own choice. It it will never feel finished to me until it's published, which is just, you know, by necessity that I have to let go of it at that point. So, it's part of the letting go for me is is submitting to journals. It's like that's that's the only way because I think even when I'm like when I gave a reading last night, for example, I was like doing edits and in, in the book so
1: it's like oh god uh, I do that too really yeah <laughs> yeah of course we're just so yeah. silly and I was like what am I doing like this is pop you know pub, like published in any and all the ways it could ever be published and I'm sitting here being like, change that word drop that word do, you know yeah. move this here it's so silly it's like why but it's because I, I mean I guess it's because you know I change and and I mean I hope I get I get better, but at the very least I get different. And I look yeah. at a sentence and my eyes are different. And I think like, oh, that's not, that's not where I want that comma anymore. Or, Ugh, I don't like that verb anymore, or whatever.
0: Totally. Yeah. And that can be a really hard thing. I feel like with like a novel project or something is like you, It takes so long to write it that by the time you finish a draft, you're like a different writer. And then it's like, oh, now, do I just keep you could just keep revising it forever to like the new writer you become each time through, basically.
1: Now, I ran into that when I was working on um, my collection of essays, which is that I had to finish. Like I wrote the end, the last of them, not that like sequential last, but I wrote the last of them. I don't know, like seven or eight years after I, ha- you know, it's it's like seven yeah. or eight years older than the earliest material. And I really felt like I had to do some like mental inter- inter-self time travel to like cr- figure out how to draw, to finish an essay that I had started eight years earlier. Um, and just trying to get that that whole thing to feel cohesive and like it was written by the same person yeah. um, felt sometimes like pretty like a pretty gymnastic act um and you're saying this this book took you 12 years like did you did you have to do any of that kind of t- titrating or smooth, smoothing over
0: yeah definitely definitely so like one of the, sort of the journeys that I went on with the book was surrounding interiority because I started the book in my MFA and a few of the stories I wrote during my MFA the first drafts and At that time, it was just everybody was talking about, like, show don't tell is the crucial thing. Like, (laughs) never never say, like, oh, a character is scared. It has to be, like, sweat was pouring down her face or something. So I (laughs) I really was limiting, like... The interiority. And then I was having a struggle that people were saying that they don't feel close enough to the characters and the characters are a bit unknowable or mysterious. And I think you can see a little bit of a shadow of that. Um, but it kind of works also because of the age of the characters, because some of the younger stories are the older ones. And it kind of makes sense that those protagonists are slightly less in touch with what's going on with them. But over the course of time, I just. Learn to have to get closer to the characters, have more interiority, to shape the interiority as part of the art. And so then, yeah, when I was editing the collection, I had to go back to the early stories and kind of add more interiority to kind of balance it out a bit.
1: So, right now I'm looking at, say, like the Black Winter of New England, which I imagine is one of those earlier stories because the protagonist, Hazel, the protagonist, is. 12 or 13 yeah um was that one where you had to kind of go back and shade in interiority
0: yes that 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 definitely was one of that was kind of the main one that was the most kind of uh, it was kind of hazel was the most sort of remote of the characters that i had to go back and get closer and closer to her through a long laborious process of drafting So the story is about, uh, I think she is 12 and she's a a middle school aged girl who's kind of through the course of the story coming to terms with being gay, but sort of in a very shadowy backgroundy way where she is having these sort of sexual role playing practice situations with her friends who want her to come to this new year's party where sort of sexual debauchery will take place. And she has to kind of decide to sneak out of her house and go into this sort of dark world, which for her friend, Melissa is kind of the beginning of heterosexuality, but Hazel is on this other journey there at the party.
1: And how you were saying that Hazel at the beginning, like in the, in the good grad school way, didn't have that much interiority because you were doing so much showing and not very much telling. Um, how did you, what was, th- what was that long laborious process of kind of getting closer to her and shading her in?
0: Yeah. Cause it's kind of like a balancing act, which, which is the case with lots of craft things i find in writing that someone's like i feel remote from this character and then you add interiority and then it's like this interiority is stifling i can't see the rest <laughs> of the world outside of her perspective so it's kind of like trying to add some take it away add some take it away and then also you know the child protagonist has i i think children have a lot more awareness of complexity than most adults like to think and i think part of that is is kind of a comforting thing for adults to think like oh these people don't understand these children don't understand the complexity around them they're protected from the scariness of the world and i don't write kids like that and i don't believe that that's the experience of kids i think they're a lot more aware than adults give them credit for so but it's also is a balancing act cuz obviously she doesn't understand everything and i wanted to write a character who really doesn't understand with words exactly what's going on with her. And I was interested in that sort of liminal zone before realization um, about sexuality, but where it's like burning every second. So that was that was kind of the project. But I think one of kind of the breakthroughs and craft that I have is trying to figure out how to make interiority propulsive. And exciting in its own right, and like so, the first story, Laramie, time in the book was one story where I was really working on that, and a couple books I look to as models. One is Revolutionary Road by Richard Yates, where it's like the the plot is so boring and and seems to be of would be would seem to be of absolutely no interest to me because it's just about like a white middle class straight man just at an advertising job, but somehow the, the the interiority is so propulsive and thrilling in that book. And then A Separation by Katie Kitamura is another book where there's not a lot going on plot-wise, but the interiority is is like a propulsive plot in its own right in the journey of that character and what she's thinking as she moves through the book. You just want to know like how her thinking will develop. So in Laramie time... Like, if you look at the actual plot, there's not tons that goes on. Like, stuff happens, obviously, but the main journey is in Lee's mind and what she's thinking about this relationship and this possible child and how her thinking around all of those elements evolve throughout the story.
1: Yeah, that's such an interesting... That's such an interesting point and challenge to like the idea that the task is making the interiority itself propulsive, that actually puts language to something that I really, really appreciated about the stories in this collection is that it actually felt, you know, piece to piece to me, like that was the case, like the kind of, and often by virtue of the thing you're describing with Hazel, which is a person who's going through something really intense internally that they don't entirely understand which i guess is the case too with lee like lee is um in considering whether or not to have a child with this partner like going through yeah like there's a suspensefulness to Lee's interiority, same with Hazel, same with Coco, you know, like kind of almost every character in this book of a person whose inner life has lots of mysteries in it. And, and so the, the drama is there as much as it's in the events of the story that are happening around the protagonist.
0: Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's what I was really hoping to get. So I'm glad that it that it came across. Yeah. There's
1: I, there's a question I've been wanting to ask you. I'm like trying to formulate it. Well, in my head is a sentence and I'm not sure that I have, but I'm going to try anyway. Um I'm curious like given that this is a collection of stories with um all queer protagonists all undergoing some form of transition moment. I'm curious if you have opinions about the way transition is written in queer literature, fictional or, or non-fictional. Like it feels Ooh. like the, the transition is a, is a plot is, you know, an important and often visited plot point in, in yeah. queer fiction one way or another. Um, and I'm curious if you, if you have opinions about how it's done or goals about how you want to do it.
0: Oh, yeah, that's such a great question. I feel like, yeah, so I I mean, one thing that had frustrated me with the past of queers in the media was like just this very sort of stock tale of coming out and this one kind of journey, which like when I sort of encountered sort of the journey of a trans person early on, I was like, oh, that's that's not me because it was always over and over this one sort of story of certain interventions and certain realizations at certain moments that didn't line up with my experience. And so I felt left out and like I couldn't see myself. And then it, it felt like it made it take me longer to get to realizations about myself because of how things were portrayed in the media. And that may be that that is the most common journey and it's obviously one that deserves to be told but I think there just wasn't there weren't there wasn't enough diversity of experiences in that way and then also it was like hearing about these the story of coming out say like for a queer person is often told in this heroic way and then you come out and all is fine and the queer person kind of has to be morally untouchable and perfect or else people are frustrated and like, oh, this is a bad representation. But I really wanted in this book to have the transitional moments be there, but be messy and have people and have nuance and have people be doing it wrong and acting in disorganized ways and acting in regrettable ways. Like, for example, at the end of Laramie time, there's a moment which I won't say, but but Lee does something that's Pretty bad, and is going to have bad consequences for her relationships. Um, but it's a survival decision, and it gets her out of this relationship that she's been stuck in, and it's kind of the only thing she can manage to do to extricate herself from the situation. And I think that's just sort of a kind of a more realistic way that queer people act because we are walking around with all kinds of trauma and the there's the struggle is real so it's just like it's not it's not realistic to me that there's this heroic linear path of either transition or coming out or that those are even the moments that are the only things that define a life so that's why you know the transition moment or the coming out moment is not the only or even sometimes the main trajectory of the character's lives
1: Right and and sometimes that the the real moments of change or uh, like the pivotal moments are are elsewhere in their lives or in their stories yeah totally something that i really appreciated about i mean various of these stories was the way that transition like gender transition trans transition um is is treated as like part of a much part of a much larger and non-linear process as mm-hmm. opposed to an event of, of of epiphany or something or like the completion of a of a journey which i'm sure you know is also a, a totally valid way to write that but it felt like the way that it's written here did feel like a version of that story maybe that i read a little bit less often
0: yeah yeah totally and that and that's really what i was trying to get at cuz oftentimes it's like transition or coming out is is told as the end of the story when in reality that's kind of when everything gets even more complicated and you know it's i think a lot of people in real life get super depressed after their transitions. And that's for a number of reasons. But one of them being that I think it feels like the answer to a long problem has finally been achieved. And then everything should be great after but life is so complicated. And, and you can't walk away from the trauma and sort of the difficulty of the journey affects you. So I think it is important to honor that that it's not just the end of a journey and the answer to everything and, and like the happy ending or whatever.
1: Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you is, um, why you work in short story form as opposed to novel or, you know, any of the other like forms that might be available to you. It's, it's like a very, it's its own very specific tradition. And I'm curious what brought you to it
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I actually do. I I have been working on novels throughout this time as well, alongside these short stories. But I do have a special love for short stories. Um, I think I don't know if if I would say it's my favorite medium, because I have read more novels through the course of my life. And so that feels in a way almost more like a natural medium. But there's so much I love about the short story and just how you can sort of glimpse this, one part of someone's life but get a sense of their whole life and some of the stories gesture to the future and you kind of get a sense of what happens after the story ends um but yeah you have to know the character and their world so deeply but you only get this restricted moment and i also think it's a good format for for like the internet age or whatever, and people's brains being more distractible and losing the attention, their attention spans, which I think especially happened during the pandemic, just the attention spans suffered majorly because you never had to have a moment really where you were not able to constantly check your phone, like there was no like plays or classes in person where you had to sit and just focus and that's something I notice a lot teaching but I think it's a good format for for the for the kind of attention spans now where you can read a story and get almost as much out of it as you would from a novel but it's so much shorter
1: yeah how do you feel like you have changed over the course of making this book
0: oh Yeah, that's an interesting question. I feel like in some ways I haven't changed that much because, you know, I feel like in some ways like I'm the exact same person as when I was little and there's a consistency in that way. But so much, uh, so much has changed externally, politically, and in the wider world surrounding politics around queerness and the discourse around queerness. And I think that's why, like, this book couldn't have been just finished right after grad school, even though I had enough material. Technically um, I needed to, to wait and see how things would change. And like, you know, the stories we talked about that are set in the Clinton administration before trans was even a thing anyone knew or talked about, but then, you know, there's so many other moments in the book, like there's a story set right after Trump was elected and there and that was the first time in my life that I kind of saw a restricting of rights around queerness and even though things had been dark and horrible and impossible in the 90s like it just felt like a constant slow opening up of possibility as we moved through time and then when Trump was elected it was kind of the first time where rights were taken away and things were were shutting down which even though Maybe there was more freedom in some way. That feeling of shutting down felt so horrible. Um, Or like there's another story set in COVID where, you know, queer relationship structures were threatened because of health, public health concerns. So I think like all of those political things that happened on the outside and the horrors and the news have definitely changed the way I think about queerness and, and think about myself and my own feelings of safety or acceptance in the world. But then also in a positive light, the way, you know, things have changed for the youth, which is in many ways like so eye-opening and amazing and positive. Like I used to teach at a high school program in the summer and just seeing the kids there with these identities that I didn't even know existed in high school and being able to talk about it. And not that they didn't have problems and issues surrounding identity, which of course they they did, but it just was amazing to see how fast things were changing in that regard.
1: Thresholds is produced by Drew Broussard. Music and editing by Laura Faye Osherwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Lorelai Grossman. Special thanks to Justin Alvarez and our hosts at Lit Hub Radio. You can find out more about our show, listen to past episodes, and get in touch at our website. This is thresholds.com. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform and you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe. Or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you normally listen, and subscribe and review us there. Thanks. We'll see you next week.